Thank you to Haig and the worship team for preparing our hearts even with that song for our message uh, this morning. Before I begin, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come this morning, we often come to church with many thoughts in our minds, many distractions from the week, trials, tribulations, joys, sorrows, and I pray that as we go into your word this morning that you would help us to focus our minds, open up our hearts to hear your word, soften our hearts to hear your word, Lord, and uh, remind us of Christ. Show us him in your scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This year, my intention is to center my preaching around a specific theme uh, my focus will be on the person and work of Christ, uh, specifically looking at the name of Jesus that he called himself in the Gospel of John, which is I am. There are seven of these statements, seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Each of these metaphors expresses something unique about the person and work of Christ and our relationship to him. So this morning, we're going to begin a journey through these I am statements with the first one, I am the bread of life, which is found in John chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 26 to 35. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about your life for a moment. On a scale from 1 to 10, how satisfied are you in your life? At night, as you lay your head down to sleep, is your soul satisfied? If not, what is it? If I only had this, I would be satisfied. What, what is satisfaction anyway? Uh, one said that satisfaction is the state of being content, the feeling that one's needs or wants are met. You know, satisfaction is tricky. It's personal, but it's temporary, and it's closely linked to our desires. And in our broken world that's been tainted by sin, we never seem to find satisfaction, and we often look for it in the wrong place. So we begin where the problem started, where we blame all of our problems on, right? We begin with Adam and Eve. Think about it. God created Adam and Eve and gave them all the trees of the garden to eat except one. And then Eve looked around, and she looked at the tree that was forbidden. It was a delight to her eyes. There was a desire in her heart, and she chose her own way and thought she could find satisfaction outside of God's boundaries, even though God had given so much that she could have found satisfaction in. But are we any different? Do we not often look for satisfaction in what God has created rather than finding it in knowing God. I was thinking maybe it's because the things God created are so connected, so powerfully to our senses. We can feel, we can taste, we can touch. But we often try to fulfill those eternal longings of our heart with temporary things, 
only to find temporary things do not satisfy us, but leave us wanting more and often become our master. So in our passage today, Jesus is going to point us to find eternal satisfaction in him. True soul satisfaction that can only be found in a relationship with Christ. Jesus calls himself, I am the bread of life, in the middle of John chapter 6. So let me set the context for you a little bit of what's going on in this chapter. At the beginning of chapter 6, we read the familiar story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus was healing a lot of sick people sick people started to gain a large following, many who were poor and hungry, and they didn't have food. And Jesus had compassion on them. He looked at them and wanted to help them. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says there were about 5,000 men who were there. If you counted the women and children, some say that you probably have about 20,000 people there who were hungry. Jesus feeds these people with five loaves and two fish. And after this miracle, uh, in verse 15, we read their response to him. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. The people there had this misconception that the Messiah would come and be their earthly king, satisfying their desires. But Jesus came for a different purpose. So at evening of that day, he goes, uh, the disciples go across the boat uh, to Capernaum while Jesus stayed back. But during the night, the waters became violent and the disciples saw Jesus walking on the water and then Jesus joined them in the boat and they reached to the other side. The people on the other side didn't realize that Jesus had not entered the boat but and that he was gone. So they got into the boat to try to find Jesus. They look for him. And when they find him, they ask him a question, Rabbi, when did you get here? And that is where our context picks up in verse 26 this morning. There are two main points that we're going to look at in this passage. First, we're going to look at what I call as deceitful satisfaction. And secondly, we're going to look at eternal satisfaction. What do I mean by deceitful satisfaction? Have you ever seen a fake $100 bill? It looks like the real thing, trying to deceive you into thinking it's real, but it doesn't produce the result you want. It's worth nothing. Our hearts are good at being deceived, thinking something's good, promising something that it cannot deliver. Jesus exposes the heart in this passage. He's going to expose two things in the heart of those people that he is speaking to that deceive them. And those two things are going to be physical satisfaction and self-sufficiency. So follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to begin in verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Whenever you see the words truly, truly, it's a way of Jesus trying to get our attention, saying, listen up, what I have to say is so extremely important. 
And he tells them that they seek him not because they saw the signs, but because they ate food and their bellies were full. Well, what is he talking about these signs that, that he was performing? The signs were not meant to be an end to themselves. They were meant to point to something of greater significance. Uh, one person said it like this, Jesus' signs were at a point beyond the physical and provide insight into who Jesus was. Jesus gives a reason for all the signs that he did throughout the book of John at the very end of John. John chapter 20, let me read verses 30 to 31. It says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The people responded to the sign with wanting more. They wanted to fill their bellies, not truly wanting to know the person of Christ. But since Jesus knows the heart, he's able to expose uh, man's sin and provide the remedy. And you may think that Jesus is being a little bit harsh with these people. They were hungry. They were poor. They were following him, and he had compassion. But they wanted more, and they didn't want him. It's not as if their desire was wrong or bad. It was that it was their only focus. They, they cared more about their physical bodies than they did about their eternal souls. Or another way to say it is that they were more concerned about what Jesus can give them than who Jesus truly was. Augustine or Augustine said, uh, how seldom Jesus is sought for the sake of Jesus. In verse 27 and Jesus rebukes them and tells them, stop working for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. He's not telling them, be lazy, stop what you're doing, stop trying to, to get food. He's, instead, he's trying to point out that physical food will spoil, but spiritual food is eternal. The spiritual food that he gives is not something they could buy. It's not, it's not something they could work for. It's something that comes from God the Father through God the Son, and it's eternal. Jesus is trying to help them to see their hearts that all they care about is food, but the true remedy is that he didn't come to, for the physical. He came for their spiritual souls and to fulfill those longings that they have. They were deceived in thinking that a full stomach was satisfaction, but it's temporary because we get hungry again. You've had that experience, right? You eat a huge meal. You feel so good. Oh, I'm not going to eat for another week in like two hours. Can I have a snack? Right? It's temporary satisfaction. We don't face, many of us don't face, right, the experience of physical hunger that those people faced not having food uh, to, uh, to just go to a drive through and eat or put food in a fridge. But though our circumstances are different, the principle is the same. Are we seeking Jesus for what he can give us or are we seeking him for who he is? Do we think that we can be satisfied with the gifts he gives you 
or the person he is. Now, I'm not saying receiving blessings from God are bad. He may prosper you with wealth. He may give you long life. He may give you a spouse, children, a house, and many other amazing pleasures that he created for us to enjoy. But when our hearts find satisfaction or try to find satisfaction in those things, more than knowing our Savior and more than knowing Christ, then often our hearts are loving what he provides rather than loving him. We can all be in danger of that, of losing our focus on our Savior and focusing our attention on the things he gives us. And Jesus exposes that in our hearts. But let's look at verse 28 to 29 at the second thing Jesus brings up, and this is self-sufficiency. Deceitful satisfaction was the first point, and now self-sufficiency. Follow along. Then he said to them, uh, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. The Jews are responding, well, what are we supposed to do then? How do we do these works of God? The works of God is a phrase that is referring to doing something that pleases God. They're thinking, okay, Jesus, we get that we're not to work for earthly things, so what do we do to work for heavenly things? How do we please God? Just tell us, what are we to do? And the way they're asking this question has the idea they want to continually do things, continually trying to please God. But they misunderstand Jesus because they're still trying to come to him on their own terms. In other words, I use the idea, they're trying to be self-sufficient, one person said they looked as natural man always looks for salvation as the result of their own effort. It feels satisfying to know that you've done something, right? To know that you've earned something or you've performed something. Maybe even to say it feels satisfying to have that sense of, okay, I please God. But the problem, and the problem with all religions outside of Christianity, is there's nothing we can do to fully please God and to earn his favor, Jesus' response to them is quite simple. Believe in him who was sent. Not do, but believe. The, this aspect of belief is not just accept these facts, uh, uh, facts but ha has an idea of commitment, placing trust in. A lot of people believe a lot of things about Christ. Are we committed to him? And Jesus says, there's nothing you can do for me to accept you except to believe in the one whom he sent. It's a huge statement. Believe in him who God has sent. Jesus is telling them that God sent him to earth and that they're to believe in him, but they didn't quite grasp it just yet. And that's what we're going to see from how they respond to him. But God never meant for us to do something before we come to him. There's nothing we can do on our own to please God. Nobody by their good works are ever going to say, here you go, God, are you pleased with what I've done? No, none of us on our own are acceptable before God. Because Titus 3, 5 reminds us, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. But let's continue on. Look at the response of the people to what Jesus has just said. Follow along in verse uh, 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Okay, now these people here are either really ignorant or quite forgetful of what just happened. Just a day earlier, Jesus feeds 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they challenge Jesus by pitting him against Moses. Did you just forget what happened? Or is the comment, okay, Jesus, you fed 20,000 people yesterday, but Moses, he fed us for 40 years in the wilderness. 20,000 is good, but you know what? 40,000 is better. I don't know about you, I don't want to say I wouldn't do the same, but if somebody fed 20,000 people like that, you know, I'm not going to question uh, that miracle. But one commentator said it like this, like what he said. He said, they had already seen the miracle of the five loaves and did not believe, and it was impossible for them to see anything more descriptive of, un of unlimited power and goodness. Even miracles themselves are lost on persons whose hearts are fixed on the perishing things of the world and whose minds are filled with prejudice against the truth. Isn't that true? We cannot change the human heart. Only God can open up the human heart. No miracle can convince anybody of the truth. Only God can open the heart to respond. But Jesus is going to refute their claims, and he doesn't leave them off the hook. He actually corrects what they're going to say before he makes the claim about himself. So follow along uh, in verse 33, or for 32, sorry. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus states, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but it was God, my Father, who gave the bread. They ate manna, which was not the true bread from heaven. Even back in Deuteronomy, when that was occurring, Moses had reminded them that they don't live on bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And the Jews say, okay, Jesus, always give us this bread which is still revealing that they didn't understand what he's talking about because they're still concerned for physical. They don't quite grasp who Jesus is. And so he exposes their heart that they're only seeking this temporary satisfaction, that they're focusing on the physical and not the eternal. He exposes them, but he's not going to leave them without hope. Because the gospel is good news because it doesn't just expose our sin, but it brings us close to God so that we might see the solution for our sin, the true bread that came down from heaven, which leads to our eternal satisfaction in him. In verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never uh, thirst. This statement is so simple, but it's so profound. Jesus teaches us that eternal satisfaction cannot be found in our stuff or within ourselves, but in him. But even in this statement, he's going to reveal his character to them. Uh, and let me explain why. First, let's look at what he's saying here about where he came from, his origin. He uses a phrase here that was, is used to describe where he came from. 
He says uh, uh, in verse uh, 35 again, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and thirst, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, uh, he uses this common phrase, sorry, I am or the bread of God. So in verse 31, verse 32, and verse 33, says the bread of God comes down out of heaven. As this bread has come down, it comes down in a heavenly origin. In the Old Testament, it was bread that was manna raining from heaven, but this true bread, as he's describing himself, he has come from heaven. He's stating, in other words, that his origin is divine that he's divine bread, not the physical that they had thought in their mind, but now he's comparing himself to divinity. And then he says his nature, I am the bread of life. I am, that phrase, those two words there, uh, it, it, those two Greek words are ego I me. And what it is, is it's two words, when you put them together, it's I am, I am. I am, I am the bread of life. There's a significance to this statement that goes all the way back to the Old Testament that connects the entirety of Scripture to describe his character. Back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, when Moses had his encounter with, with God at the burning bush, you remember the story, this bush is on fire and it's not consumed. God calls to Moses and states, Here I am. Later, God tells Moses his mission to go to Pharaoh to tell him he needs to, uh, to release the Jews out of slavery. And Moses asks God a question. He says, okay, I'll go to Pharaoh to tell, tell him this, but who do I tell them sent me? What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Think about the Jewish people that Jesus was talking about, and then he states, I am the bread of life. If you see the connection, Jesus was saying that he was God, and this got him into a lot of trouble, right? When he started comparing himself to God, and they understood who he was, they weren't happy. John chapter 8, just two chapters later, there's a discussion about this in verse 56 to 59, Jews are challenging Jesus, and they say, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And the I am is so important because it reveals Jesus' divine nature, which allows him to make the following statement about who he is as the bread of life. There is no question in the mind of those who hear the connection he's making that he is of divine origin. And then after that, he can say, I am the bread of life, using something so common in the day to describe himself. If you think about it, Jesus just fed 20,000 people, and he used bread. Bread for them was something that was essential for life. When they ate it, they felt satisfied because it met a physical hunger. But I often thought, what a simple way to compare yourself. Jesus tells them, I'm the bread of life. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, 
himself compares himself to something so simple as bread. Why? I wonder if it's so simple because it relates to all who would hear. The poor and the rich ate bread. There's different cultures, different time periods. Young and old all have heard of bread. There's a lot of biblical imagery when you think about bread. Even back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you are taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. God fed the people in Exodus chapter 16 with bread from heaven. God would feed this bread to them every day to sustain them. In the Lord's Prayer, what are we told to pray for? Our daily bread. Jesus takes this physical substance that is so common and then brings out the spiritual significance of who he is. And that's the eternal satisfaction that's only found in Christ. He says here at the end, look at what he says. He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Sermon on the Mount, he said the same thing about finding satisfaction in, in him, about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and they shall be satisfied. But I wish I was someone in the crowd at that time because I would have wanted to walk up to Jesus and ask him a question. Jesus, you say you're the bread of life and that satisfaction is found in you, but what exactly do you mean by I will never hunger or thirst. There were two great theologians back in the 60s, Mick Jagger and Keith Phillips, who eloquently exposed the human heart. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no. Has there been any better words to describe the problem of our lack of satisfaction in the human heart. It's true, right? Has anybody been satisfied with the things of this world? They tried, they didn't do it, but they were no match to Solomon who had everything you could ever think of in this world and ended up unsatisfied and wanting more, right? But I was thinking, it's probably not a bad thing that we're unsatisfied because that lack of satisfaction points us to the only one who could provide satisfaction for our souls. What if we were satisfied with the things of this world? It would distract us from the true one who brings satisfaction. But here's where I think it started to make sense to me as I thought about him describing himself as the bread of life, that our satisfaction is found in a relationship with him. Physical bread's something external. It provides you with temporary satisfaction, but it's just that temporary, right? But the spiritual bread, Christ, provides nourishment for our souls, provides spiritual life, which goes from this world into eternity. I am the bread of life. There's things in this world which we think satisfy us, but we keep looking, right? We can't find it, and we're restless because we think it's out there. We think it's the job that we need to find, but you can lose it. We think it's that material possession we don't have, but it'll rot out. Everything can be lost. You can have great wealth and lose it all in a moment. You can lose everything in this world because it's all temporary. But truly deep down inside of our souls, that longing for eternal satisfaction, it's found in a person, not in the things of this world because he is eternal and there's future hope connected with Christ. 
Only Jesus can feed us both temporary and eternal. But the question still remains, how does Jesus satisfy my soul? How do we never hunger or thirst anymore? I liked what D.A. Carson said about this. He said, this does not mean there is no need for continued dependence upon him, for continued feeding upon him. It does mean there's no longer that core emptiness that the initial encounter with Jesus has met. I like that. I, I, I picture it like being in a hospital connected to an IV that provides a source of, of nourishment that your body needs at that moment. And as long as you're connected, the supply never runs out. They keep bringing more and more, right? Pull it out and you're on your own. When we try to satisfy ourselves on our own, we run out, we get empty. But when we're connected with him, he satisfies our soul with what we really need. What does our soul really need? What could really satisfy our eternal souls? Think about what Jesus gives freely to his children. Think about salvation. By Jesus' death, he satisfied the wrath of God so that we can be forgiven and not face the penalty for our sin. Jesus fulfilled, satisfied the law for us. He paid it all. Think about mercy, not receiving what we deserve, which is hell, but instead becoming children of God. Think about his grace, receiving what we don't deserve, heaven, and all the blessings of being a child of God here and now. Think about the peace that we have with God, no longer his enemy. Peace with others and the peace of God on our heart. Think about the forgiveness, the continually, daily forgiveness for all of your sin. Think about love, not human love, but divine, faithful love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every single day. Think about the joy that we could have as believers, not based on our circumstances, but based on God being in complete control of your life, working all things out for your good and your glory. Hope for today, for tomorrow, and in the future. We're hopeful people because Jesus was raised from the dead. Can anything in all of creation that has been created for us to enjoy satisfy us like the truth that we find in Christ? Like feasting on the great meal and you feel full, we feast upon the great truths of Scripture and we feel satisfied knowing where we go back to find that satisfaction again and again and again. It's the satisfaction when you close your eyes at night to know that you're right with your Creator. He loves you and He cares for you. He will walk with you through this life taking care of all that you need. Right? But you say, I'm not satisfied. Maybe I'm not satisfied with my walk with the Lord. I don't love him as I should. I don't obey him in everything. I come to church and I feel good and I feel right, but then I leave and it's back to the same old, same old Monday morning. But we're always dissatisfied if we're at the center because the reality is we don't love God as much as we should. We don't obey him in every way. We don't have enough change in our life. But he picks us up when we fall. He uh, forgives us when we sin. He hurts as you hurt. He will never leave you or forsake you. You do not hunger or thirst because he is the bread of life that continually gives you life. It doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with the things of this world, having our eyes uh, sway over to something we think that's going to satisfy us. Our hearts are fallen, but it does mean we know where our hearts can be satisfied, and that's in him. Lastly, Jesus, in this statement, 
makes a command to them. It's a command to come and to believe. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Come and believe. Come and believe. This bread is something we receive, not something we can buy or work for. This bread is something that's free. Offer to all who will come and believe. It's never ending. It's the food that we need daily. The gospel, the good news about Christ is all wrapped up in here. Jesus calls us to receive him, uh, to not work, to believe on him, to rest on him, to accept the true bread from heaven. The gospel reminds us to come to Christ to receive what we could not earn, to believe in the one who earned righteousness for us. When we feel the weight of our sin, to turn to the bread of life. For apart from him, we will not find satisfaction here or in eternity. Come and believe. Believe is one of the key words in the Gospel of John, to believe on the Son of God. Forty-three times we see the word believe, almost in every chapter. What are we to believe the true bread of heaven is? That Christ, the one who God sent to be the Savior of the world, to rescue you from sin that so captivates your soul, to pay your debt as a substitute on the cross, and he rose again. Right? True eternal satisfaction can only be found in a relationship with him because everything's temporary, but our lives in Christ will go on into eternity. The first I am statement created quite a conflict for Jesus, because in it, Jesus confronted people with who he was and he exposed the condition of their hearts and souls. Jesus confronted their materialistic tendencies and self-sufficiency and pointed them to find eternal satisfaction in him. And I think the lesson is the same for us. Satisfaction is temporary at best and meaningless at worst apart from him. He's the only one who could provide true eternal satisfaction through a relationship with him. The true bread of life came down from heaven to give us spiritual life and eternal hope. So as you think about your own life and what will satisfy you, if you're honest, they're deceptive, right? But each and every day we have to go back to the throne of grace because there's a war going on in each and every one of our hearts, competing desires, deceitful thoughts, and a wayward will. But remember... Since Jesus Christ, the bread of life, died and rose from the grave, there's hope. There's daily grace, new mercies, peace, strength, and so much more. Why? Because just, these do not come from yourself, but from the never-ending supply of the bread of life to those who believe. And one day, one day, this eternal satisfaction will become our daily reality when we're fully in the presence of our Savior, who is the bread of life. And we will truly and forever understand what it means to no longer hunger or thirst. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to hear your word and we hear these great and wonderful statements in the Gospel of John, the I am statements about Christ, about who he is in his person, his nature, and his work, and how that relates to us, Lord. There are, are marvelous truths in your word. 
And as we see in this first statement, Lord, about finding satisfaction, that it is only found in you. We're grateful for the things you have allowed us to enjoy on this earth. But guard our hearts, Lord, and remind us that they are not an end to themselves, but they are to point us back to you. They sometimes remind us of the emptiness, the temporary nature of it, so that we might find our eternal satisfaction in you. Work in our hearts, Lord, to find that in you and remind us again and again of the truth that we find in your word that when we leave here today and we wake up tomorrow morning, through your Holy Spirit, remind us of your truth. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.